0: Thank you for preserving it for us, sustaining it so that we might have it this day. It's been read in a language that we understand. We come to you now, God, and ask that you would give us more than physical understanding. We need spiritual understanding. Would you open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things? Would you teach us and train us, correct us? Yes, Lord, even rebuke us for righteousness' sake. Lord, you are doing a work in your people You are making us more like Jesus, and you use the word and the preached word as one of your tools to mold us and to shape us. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless your people now as the word is preached, and I pray that you would help me. Oh, God, would you sustain me? Would you protect me? Keep me from error? Oh, God, may the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you. You are our rock and our redeemer. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. A little over 20 years ago, my soul, everything inside of me was struggling. And I was overcome by a simple truth. And the results were overwhelming. I had a lot going right for me in my early to mid-20s. I had a great job. I had a promising career. I was a leader in a wonderful church. I had really good Christian friends. But inside of me, there was raging an intense battle. My faith appeared to be strong to others, but I was struggling, struggling with doubt. I was struggling with self-condemnation and I was really struggling with feelings of inadequacy. At times it was as if my conscience had a bullhorn and just randomly, my conscience would stop me in my tracks and it would scream out, what's wrong with you? You're better than this, why are you struggling? Shouldn't you have this figured out by now, you hypocrite? Well, on this one day, when those internal cries seemed the loudest, I joined some friends for their son's preschool program. You've been to those, right? Those are a lot of fun. I watched with delight as those kids filed in, not really knowing where to go, and the teachers working really hard to get them in the right place. And they began one by one reciting some things they had learned in this preschool that was scripture. So they were reciting scripture, it was beautiful. Then they began to sing, and that is when my soul was overcome. I've remembered the lyrics, and this is what they sang. I won't sing it for you. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars, how loving and patient he must be, because he's still working. On me. I'm glad that people normally cry at these things. If you've been to them, you know that. The parents are all, I can't believe my baby's up there. I can't believe my friend's son is up there. You know, I, I just, I lost it. I was full of emotion. He's still working on me. This week, we continue in this brief summer series to unfold the answer to an age-old question, and that question is, who am I? Who am I? So far, we've seen that we are image bearers. We've seen that we are worshipers. We've seen that we are reflections. That is, we've been made specially in God's image to worship him and to reflect his glory as we're being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to continue to answer this question and we'll do so by turning to this one verse, Ephesians 2:10, and we're going to discover together that we are also God's masterpiece. So who am I? I am a masterpiece. To guide us this morning, I'm going to follow this outline. It's very simple, two points with three subpoints each, but you know, two points. Gotcha. First, three simple truths. Three simple truths. And second, three practical applications. Three simple truths, three practical applications. Let's begin with the three simple truths straight from this verse. The first simple truth is this I've already said it. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. The ESV, which many of you, the English Standard Version, many of you are using that. It's the Bible in front of you in the pews. The ESV says it this way, we are his workmanship. Not to go too far down this for you, but the Greek word used here is "poema," which literally means, that's the word for workmanship or masterpiece, "Poema" it literally means that which has been made the thing that has been made. It's used as a reference in the Greek language to refer to a work of art. Whether that work of art is a statue, a song, some type of architectural structure, a poem, which some think that might be where we got the word poem from, is this word poema, can even refer to a painting. The simple meaning is that we are God's masterpiece. We are God's work of art. We are God's masterpiece. This is in line with what we've already stated in this series, which I briefly affirmed. Uh, I'll go in a little bit more depth here. We've affirmed that God is the creator of the whole universe, that he formed everything out of nothing by the power of his word. And on the sixth day of creation, We saw that God created mankind, he created them male and female, and he created them in his image. Mankind, male and female, are God's special work. Further in scripture, and we can just point out Psalm 139, 13, uh, we're told that God knits us together in our mother's womb. So surely we, as men and women, boys and girls, as those made in God's image, we can affirm that we are God's special creation. But this verse, Ephesians 2.10, is affirming so much more than the truth of our physical creation. God has made us. In that sense of him making us, we are his masterpiece, right? But this verse is uh, affirming so much more than that. It goes on to say that we are God's masterpiece, what? Created in Christ Jesus. That's the second simple truth I want you to see. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. In fact, we might put it this way. We've been doubly created. We've been doubly created, If that is, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have faith in him, if you've been born again, then you are doubly created. Created. This is, after all, the contextual emphasis of this verse. If you're familiar with all of Ephesians 2, you'll know that at the beginning, in verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, makes the case that before we're born again, that is, before we are saved, um, we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. He says that we are spiritually dead and our trespasses and sins. Paul does not say that we are merely sick and in need of medicine. Paul does not say that humanity has simply taken a wrong turn and is in need of clear instruction and that way it can get everyone back on the right path. Paul does not say that mankind is basically good and just needs an infusion of some type of spirituality to be all we were meant to be. No, Paul says, that without Jesus Christ, we are flatlined spiritually speaking. We are completely unresponsive. Spiritually, he says, we are dead. But the good news comes in verses four through nine. In fact, look at verse four, the first two words, but God, and that's when everybody says amen. You're dead, you're unable to do anything. You're spiritually dead, but God made us alive together with Christ Jesus. And he's gonna say, by grace, you have been saved. Having been given physical life, we've now been given spiritual life. We've been raised from death, spiritual death, to spiritual life through God's great love and mercy. And though physical life is itself a miracle, Don't doubt that. Physical life is a miracle. Spiritual life is so much more so. Jonathan Edwards said it well when he said this. He said, spiritual life, which is reached in the work of conversion, is a far greater and more glorious effect than mere being and physical life. God's most stupendous creation is mankind made spiritually alive. I wanna use the word stupendous more often. God's most stupendous creation is mankind made spiritually alive. Didn't we talk about this last week, brothers and sisters? We know if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the new has come, the old has passed away. Well, also in verses four through nine, Paul goes to great lengths to remind us that this new creation, this process of becoming alive in Jesus Christ through God's love and mercy is all by grace and through faith. It's not of works, not of works. He says that multiple times, it's not works. No one is saved, no one is made alive. We might use the word regenerated, we might say converted, we might say born again. No one, no one is saved by their works. I'm reminded of an old story I heard that I think had its origins in the Middle East somewhere, and it speaks to this truth. The story goes this way. A man was traveling on his donkey one day when he happened upon a small sparrow in the road, small bird, lying on its back with its scrawny legs thrust into the sky. At first, he thought what most of us would think, this is a dead bird. But he was wrong. It was very much alive. The man proceeded to ask the sparrow what any of us would ask a sparrow, right? Are you okay? The sparrow replied, yes. Now you know it's a story. The man then said, what are you doing lying on your back with your legs pointed toward the sky? The sparrow responded that he had heard a rumor that the sky was falling. So he was doing his part to keep it up there by holding his legs up to support it. You know what the man did next, right? He laughed, he laughed. And he said, you surely don't think little old you is going to hold up the sky with those scrawny legs, do you? The sparrow, with a very solemn and serious look, retorted, one does the best he can. Now move on. One does the best he can. Now move on. Foolishness, right? Self-deception. It's futile. Well, the foolish self-deceit and the futile works of that little sparrow are just the same as the one who believes that their good works will save them. But I wanna make the point that this does not nullify good works. This does not nullify good works. For once we are saved, we respond. Once we are saved, we must work. This is the third simple truth I want you to see from this verse. Our good works prove God's work in us, Our good works prove or testify, you might say, to God's work in us. You see, God is at work on us and in us so that he might work through us. Just as he chose us, if we go back to Ephesians 1, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Just as he did that, so he also chose for us good works to do for Christ. Here in this world, the works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I like how Kent Hughes, he's a pastor and a commentator, I like how he wrote it. He said it this way Each of us has an eternally designed job description that includes the task, the ability, and the place to serve. All of us has an eternally designated job description. That includes the task, the ability, and the place to serve. You see, in faithfulness, God leads us, He leads you, He leads me to shine His lights in the world, right? This is what Jesus taught us to shine His lights in the world so that all will see our good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. And listen, these good works don't earn anything for us, they're not meant to draw any attention to us. They serve to testify that we belong to the one who is working in us. They serve to build up and encourage one another, the church, the body of Christ. And they serve to minister the gospel of grace to those who are apart from Christ. So as a church, you know, we're on mission to share our lives and the gospel with one another, And you might ask, well, how do we do that? Well, one way we do that is through our good works. We share our lives in the gospel with one another because those works point us back to Jesus Christ, to God himself working in us. God's works are proof, excuse me, good works are proof of God's work in us. They are the fruit, you might say, of a new life. So there you have it, three simple truths. Number one, we are God's masterpiece. Number two, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And three, our good works prove God's work in us. So let's now take those truths and apply them to our lives. And as I said before, I'm gonna do this by giving you three, which I hope to be practical applications. And so first, listen, those of you who are in Christ, those of you who are followers of Jesus, Hear this. You are of untold worth. You are of untold worth. That's a great truth. And it's actually one that's really hard to take a hold of. After all, we exist in frail bodies, don't we? Most days we feel as we're just being carried along by external forces, maybe the rush of modern day busyness. Many of us have had really bad things happen to us that make us doubt our worth. But don't forget, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You're his very work of art. And as long as you dwell on this side of heaven, we've sung about heaven this morning. We've sung about what it's like to live on this side. But as long as you dwell on this side of heaven, I've got news for you. This could be good or bad news, depending on how you're feeling today. You're still in process. You're still in process. If you think you've arrived, sorry, you haven't. You're still in process. If you think you're never gonna get there, you're still in process. Many of you have heard of, not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, but the artist, Michelangelo. He was once asked what he was doing as he chipped away at a, a shapeless rock. This is how he replied. He replied. I'm liberating an angel from this stone. I'm liberating an angel from this stone. This is what God is doing with us. I'm not calling you angels. so misunderstand me. But this is what God is doing with us. We are always in the hands of our great maker. The Bible in Isaiah and Jeremiah talks about us being hands, even in Romans 9. We're clay in the hands of the potter. And God is always at work molding us and making us. And no matter where we are in the process, remember this. He has never thrown away a rock, a lump of clay on which he has begun a masterwork. Those whom he is shaping to be more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, God has never said, "Ah, this one's hopeless now. What did we hear earlier in the scriptures? What he has begun in you, he will most certainly bring it to completion. Yeah, he works on us. He has lots of tools, doesn't he? He has his spirit. He has his word. He even uses difficult circumstances, suffering, and trials. He uses difficult people. All of these are tools, instruments in the Redeemer's hands, and they're used for him, for our good. And at times, I agree, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like it's for good, but I can only tell you what the Bible tells you. Anything else would be a lie. It's for your good. It's for my good. God loves his masterpiece. God loves you. And because you are his work of art, you are of untold worth. Don't ever let anyone tell you any different. Young people who are still in here, don't let anyone tell you any different. You, if you are in Christ, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You are of untold worth. The second application is this. Your gifts are valuable. Your good works, your gifts are valuable. In Scripture, in places like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, the church is likened to a body. And you'll read that just as one body has many members, so does the body of Christ. And each member has a different yet important function. Let's see this in play. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. let flip back a few books there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll start reading at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as, that, excuse me, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor again the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It's pretty obvious here that each of us have differing gifts. Some are gifted at hospitality. Some are gifted at singing or playing instruments. Some are gifted at teaching. Some at prayer and encouragement. Some at giving. Some at mercy. Some at organization some at leading, some at writing, some at working with your hands, building and fixing things. Some are gifted at listening. The list could go on and on, right? Sorry if I left anyone out. But the point is this. Our King, Jesus Christ, by his spirit has given gifts to his people. Gifts to be used for the good works prepared for them to do. Do you make the connection there? If we've been called, set apart, made, created for good works, God equips us to carry out those works. They're gifts used to do those works that God prepared beforehand. All these gifts, like differing members of the body, like differing instruments in an orchestral ensemble, all of them work together in unison and in harmony so that the church can carry out its mission here on earth. So that means that each and every part, each and every gift is valuable. That also means that you are valuable. You are valuable. The church needs your gifts. Yes, the church needs your gifts so that it may function in wholeness. But, but I don't have any gifts, Pastor Dan. Maybe I beat one of you to saying that in your head not true, false. God's word says you've been given gifts and I know God's word is true. But but I don't know what my gifts are, Pastor Dan. Fair enough, let's find out. Let's find out what they are. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know what your gift is, I challenge you to schedule a meeting with me schedule a meeting with me or with another elder. We'll find out together. I'm going to make you this promise. I will not make you fill out a spiritual gift survey. Some of you are like, I'm not going to do it. Let's have a conversation. Give me 45 minutes. Let's have a conversation. Let me ask you some simple questions and let's together discover what your gift might be. And then when we know our gifts. We can embrace our gifts and we can use them to the glory of God in order to show his power at work within us. Friends, your gifts are most certainly valuable. And that brings me to my third and final practical application. You matter to the church. You matter to the church. I want to remind us again of what might be lost in application number two. The church is more than a collection of gifts. Let me say it again. The church is more than a collection of gifts. It's a collection of people with gifts. Emphasis on people. The church is a gathering of people with gifts. While you cannot separate the gift from the person, sometimes the gifts are used in greater measure than at other times. Listen, sometimes we all need to just pull back a little bit and heal and rest. I get that. But it's very easy to get ourselves and our identity or maybe even our view of other people's identity and who they are wrapped up in how we or how they use their gifts to serve. I'll use myself as an example because I don't want to get in trouble using anyone else. I'm the pastor of the church. I'm the primary teacher in the church. But here's a question. Do I matter to the church solely because I'm the pastor and the teacher? I certainly hope not. I hope I matter to this church because I am first and foremost, Dan. And I hope just as much that I find my identity first in the fact that I am God's masterpiece. Not that I am God's masterpiece with gifts of shepherding and teaching. Does that make sense? Do you understand? As Dr. Neal would say, are you with me? Are you with me? We matter most to the church. We matter most to one another because we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We matter because of who we are, not because of what we do. We should matter to one another because of who we are, not because of what we do. So listen, you matter to the church. You matter to this church, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. Yes, we can all agree that we were created indeed in Christ for good works. And those good works will be evident, but they flow from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we look around this room and we see the ones whom God is assembling here to be a part of the body of Christ here at the chapel, may we see how valuable we are to one another because of who God is making us to be, not because of what we are or are not doing. Can't we just look at one another and say, you are God's masterpiece. You are have worth. That was a hard lesson for me to learn some 20 years ago. A hard and difficult lesson. I was seeking my identity and my value, and I probably still do it more than I wanna admit, and what was lacking, and seeking my identity and value in all the ways that I had failed. I needed a reminder that day. I still need a reminder today It's a reminder that each and every one of us needs each and every day. So I'm going to say it again. We are God's masterpiece. You are God's work of art. You've been created in Christ Jesus. You've been raised from death to life. And he leads us, you and me, to walk in good works that he prepared beforehand for his glory. And while you, while I, may not see ourselves as the completed work of art that God is making us to be, sometimes we joke and say, you got a lot of work to do, God. He knows. He knows. But he's not gonna fail. He's not gonna fail. He's gonna do exactly that which he set out to do. He will not throw you aside. He will finish the work, our call is to simply remember the truth that those children sang to me that day. I'm still not going to sing it, but I'll repeat it. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, how loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me and you. Amen and amen.